Welcome, everybody, to the 40th milestone edition of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Rich Greenfield and Walt Pysik. And um, on on last week's intro song, we actually got uh, got some feedback from one of the friends of the podcast that they didn't like the bass rift. So figured this week we would go with something that uh, is undeniably one of probably the top 10 bass riffs of all time. And um, in addition to that, I, I think it fits well with um, new president in the office, the message of unity on on Wednesday. And um, for me, it reminds me yeah. the last time I was in a, a large group of people at the Cavern Club in Liverpool, um, where the Beatles performed, as you may recall. So that brings <laughs> back a positive memory from March of last year. Back Your last trip, yeah, was top of the league. And <laughs> Wait, I remember you posting pictures to Facebook of yourself with um with a Corona <laughs> beer. Little sure. did little did we know what was going to happen <laughs> after that. I think like a week later is when someone in our we work got COVID, and <laughs> the rest. Is ha- I, I haven't seen either of you since in person. Well, I was actually. <laughs> I saw the final game. It was a Liverpool Champions League game, and that's when Trump had his ban. And I was getting mad texts from people wondering whether I was going to get stranded in the UK. Uh, we were sure you were never coming home. That was, I mean, we were convinced that we were not seeing you for a long time. I think that game against Atletico was a might have been a super spreader event, one of the first ones. <laughs> well, you you survived, and I must say, Walt, um, you were complaining about your new haircut, but I, I think it looks pretty good. I could see you looking in the screen, kind of checking yourself out. So yeah. I, I figured I would uh, give you some props. Thank you. It's a, it's a good cut. Um, anyway, I don't think the world has gotten any less crazy. I mean, some Just of the world has gotten a little less. Yeah, different We've forms of crazy. Cr- We've gone from, from political craziness to market craziness. Well, I mean, we talked about it in the intro last week, how, how nuts uh, the markets have been and sort of the retail attack on, on certain stocks. And I, if you pull up the first slide, Rich, last, yeah. last week we talked about uh, the market craziness and valuations being fairly divorced from the fundamentals for certain names. And GameStop was the example that we were using because there was sort of a retail attack on on a on a short seller there and that attack has now continued um into this week gamestop is actually up uh looking at my screen 43 percent right now um but more important than that citron research tweeted out the you following you, earlier today excuse me do you mean to read this one for you brandon no i got it i got it okay Citron Twitter page to be back up on Monday. Twitter working through multiple hack attempts. In the meantime, nothing more to be said on GME. Family first. And it had a letter from them. And I'll just read the most important paragraph, which is, we will no longer be commenting on GameStop. Not because we do not believe our investment thesis, but rather the angry mob who owns this stock has spent the past 48 hours committing multiple crimes that I will be turning over to the FBI, SEC, and other governmental agencies. This is not just name calling and hacking, but includes serious crimes such as harassment of minor children. 
And it goes on from there. And look, this is similar to the type of harassment that you've been seeing, Rich, for your cell thesis on, on Fubo. And we have what it, it, a competitor in the market who downgraded a couple of stocks this week, who is also getting death threats and harassment um, through private ch- through private channels. It's, it's a, complete it's insanity. A very, it's complete it's a insanity. very strange and insane time in the markets. I've had a lot of clients um, who we've spoken to over the last week or so who are like, it's over. It's things are never going to be the same again. Retail is going to run the markets. Look, it every time something happens, everyone says this time's different. It's it's never it's never actually different. Um, What's there, fascinating well, is sometimes these people, and I think Citron alluded to this in that in that text. Um, they don't even hide their identities, or are too dumb enough to figure out how to hide their identities. Uh, we had the similar thing, and they will get um, caught by the uh, government officials <laughs> or uh, police. It reminds me, Brandon, back in '99, I had a similar thing where someone called me, um, threatening me. Is, is this after the uh, the famous Qualcomm call? This was another call? stock that this person was threatening me about that had had gone down or, or whatever, and. Um, it was caller ID, so I called the guy back. Um, it ended up getting turned over to, to a detective. It ended up being a dentist in Scarsdale. <laughs> and then the guy claimed that I was harassing him because he was such an idiot that he called me and I had his caller ID and I called him back. So I was allegedly harassing him because I was calling him back and asking him how he could be such an idiot to threaten my life on a, on a number that he had not hidden <laughs> the identity of. Here's the bottom line. Being an analyst is a very dangerous job. You <laughs> Don't laugh. It's actually a little scary. I mean, relative to what it used to be. I mean, I, it used to be the worst thing that could happen is getting a stop well, Walt just gave an example, gave for, an example from, from 99. I got a death threat then. I, I know. but As many like... parallels, by the way, as we draw between mm-hmm. the market now and the market I, in 99. Well, I, think par- I think the parallels are is that the investor base has broadened out chasing certain types of stocks and you know social media amplifies it might everything. Be emotion yeah. it might be it might be that you know they've invested too much of their personal wealth in there there's no market you know there's no kind of balance so that obviously make would make someone more emotional and you know that look, does not on margin look and that doesn't social, have a positive ending when these things go the opposite way look social media Which will amplifies happen. social media amplifies everything i mean look we saw good examples i mean amanda gorman's in my background she has a million twitter followers after 24 hours and 2 million instagram followers but if you look at our first tweet uh, sorry, our second but slide on, for Rich, the week losing money amplifies everything uh, as well and that's what i think sure. drives some of the emotion right especially if it's someone that took whatever money that they have and plowed it into a stock and they were happy because it was up 50, 60%. And then all of a sudden it's down 5%. And, you know, look, I got an Insta, I got an unsolicited Instagram DM this week saying, are you paying me back the $50,000 I lost in Fubo stock? Like, I mean, that's craziness, but that's what, that's where we're at. People get yeah very, with, very with threats and that person forgot to hide his identity. That's true. <laughs> Idiot. If you're listening. Well, he's definitely um, not listening. But, yeah, obviously. But we know who you are and you will be getting visited shortly. In a good use case for social media, uh, Walt has been early on the TikTok bandwagon. Uh, a few, I'd say about two and a half, probably two weeks ago, I was driving with my uh, teenager and she tells me uh, there is this friend of Taylor or sorry, this like someone who idolizes Taylor Swift who posted a song 
was in High School Musical, the musical. So she's not a total nobody. She was an actress in the Disney Plus reboot of the High School Musical franchise. But she posted uh, a song on um, released a song. It blew up on TikTok, which is where my daughter heard about the song. You can see from the tweet or from the pictures we have up that this girl, Olivia Rodrigo, was aggressively using TikTok to build her visibility. The song got commented on 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 Instagram or her post on Instagram got commented on by Taylor Swift. But what's amazing is this 17 year old who was in a Disney Channel series releases a song. Spotify put out a tweet and I'm just going to read it. Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license, which is the name of the song, now has the record for the most streams for a song in a week on Spotify. Global number one, U.S. number one, Apple Music number one, uh, like literally every chart that exists has broken every record. And I think it speaks basically to, just by launching on social or on TikTok I mean, in this case, the power of social just to literally cause a massive surge in visibility and it, look, I think it wasn't just on social. Things have been on social before. I think what drove this, and if you go into some yeah, of the remember that song, it, Friday, that Walt used to love? <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, it is she does, Friday. Maybe we should end the podcast with that. <laughs> well, I was, I, Brandon, it was funny. She does Friday. I think one of her TikTok posts is her doing Friday, Shut which up. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. But my, what my point is duets and sort of the interactive, everyone's being, ta- just like with Friday, everyone was taking their own take on her, which made it really that much more powerful, I think, in terms of how it went viral. But again, I think it speaks to how important TikToks become within the overall music industry. Um, moving on, we've got uh, Reed Hastings posting a tweet. Brandon, why don't you describe this? Because I think you live, you watch this all go down. Um, well, it's a tweet from Reed himself, and it's directed at you, Rich. It says, "At two hundred million, Rich, it was Denny's on demand at home." And I think that your tweet that that preceded this, and you're tagged in it as well. Um, in the picture, I think the tweet that preceded it was you saying something like he couldn't go to Denny's like he did for his his hundred million um, uh, user accomplishment. And uh, I guess Reed Hastings loves fucking Denny's. I do not like uh, Denny's. I don't understand. The why good news is Denny's. we now we now know Uber Eats delivers Denny's in California. Yes. If you need your Denny's hit, if you live in California. But the bottom but, line is Netflix continues to grow its scale, kind of hitting escape velocity. And as a real sort of TV replacement bundle and a, and a global one, it's it's impossible to match them. And their scale gives them so many advantages. Right, Rich? I mean, well, any, I, anything I, more Brandon, I, really I would say? think about, well, you know, the, what I would think about it is we now know to be a global scaled company. I mean, the, the knock on Netflix, when, when we would, you know, talk to investors and really, if you talk to like Hollywood executives, every meeting we would go into is they're going to go bankrupt. They're going to run out of money. This is all done on debt. They're overspending on content. There's no way. There's no way. As soon as we hit a bad market environment, they won't have access to capital. This thing is over. Like that was the year after year. That yep. was the pitch we heard. Well, now they're at 17. They're going to spend 17 and a half billion dollars on content this year. They have 200 million subs and they don't need anyone else's money. And they've now raised price each of, you know, in two of the last three years. And subscribers are at all time record levels and they're growing faster than they've ever been growing before. So the idea that this, you know, kind of Hollywood's hope that this would die 
in terms of gross, in terms of gross ads. Yeah, yes. I'm just saying in terms of like Hollywood's hope that this would sort of die off and disappear and things would go back to normal. The train has left the station. It's no, over. Like, it's, as you it's said, inter- it's interesting. I mean, this company is now going to become somewhat of a free cash flow harvester. We're, we're talking. They're talking about um, a buyback starting in the second half of the year. Well, Brendan, what was amazing is on the on the sell side callback in the evening, which used to be all of like, what's your financial outlook? The questions, four or five of them were like, what are you going to do with all the cash? I mean, yeah. people were talking about buying sports rights. Like, what could you possibly <laughs> do with this much cash? Which, by the way, they pretty much said they would never do. No, I know. But it was just sort of fascinating to just see the change in body language in just the past few years of like the, the types yeah. of questions that are being asked. Everyone worried about their liquidity. There were, at, there were, I think, multiple analysts who came on and suggested that they lever up more to do a levered buyback. Hold on. And this remember, this, like, hold on. This is the same company that back in March we were forced. I mean, literally, we were forced by investors to write a piece on Netflix's liquidity because people were panicked that they wouldn't make it through the pandemic. And now we're talking about a company that's free cash flow positive and growing faster than in terms of, you know, net additions, their highest net addition year ever. So what does this mean for the competition, though? Because normally you would think that if someone reaches effectively self-funding, um, cost of capital is low, that others like, you know, I don't really want to invest against these guys. But hold on. Yep. That Apple also has an extremely low cost of capital. Amazon, low cost of capital. AT&T, not so much. It's low because the markets are low. Um, does right. it, does it, when they hitting this milestone, do you think it actually changes the outlook for the willingness of some of what you would call competitors or additional streams to invest um, as much as they would if, you know, they thought that they could pressure Netflix and, and to try and outspend them in some way? Well, I'd say a couple of things. One is obviously Netflix had its biggest net ad year in the same year that Disney put up basically 86 million subscriber ads. Pandemic helped that, obviously. For sure. But but my point is, it wasn't a zero-sum game. The category is taking a tremendous wallet share, cord cuttings increasing. Like People want to stream more content. I mean, Walt, what have you just streamed this past weekend? Um, well, I did two things. We looked at... Um, what was it on HBO? Was it HBO? No, it was Disney, I guess, had the new Marvel thing, WandaVision. WandaVision. Which was, I give it a C. Um, okay. And then we also did Lupin, uh, which was great. It was a great Which Netflix. is Netflix, a French show that yeah. we were talking about last week. Yeah, and we only watched it because actually when I turned on the Netflix, aside from the buzz, it literally was the first thing that popped up. So I told Jess about how you had been chatting about it on the last podcast. We watched it. It was good. It was very yeah. good. It was a very good series. So, Power of the Recommendation. And, and by the way, did you watch it dubbed or with subtitles? I watch everything with subtitles, Rich. But so we you watched watch it, it in French. No, we watched no, it Walt in watches French. English with subtitles. Well, actually, you're right, Brandon. And I was arguing for that. <laughs> oh, God. I, do, I usually do. I usually for do. The both. hearing impaired. Uh, whatever reason. Yes, you're right. That's normally how I would do it. But um, my wife, in this case, convinced me that we were going to watch it in French, which was great, um, dubbed in, in English, obviously. Okay, so the, the point is, is that thing. people want more and more to stream. I think they're willing to pay for more and more to stream. I don't know if anyone's actually, I mean, look, Apple and Amazon clearly have the cash resources and the tech resources to do it. Maybe Disney does, as we've been talking about. I mean, if anything, about. it might embolden them because they're like, well, look, everyone said that it, that Netflix would not be able to continue to put up this budget. 
look, they got to the other end of it and we're great companies. So we're going to do the same thing because yeah. we can see the end of the well, end. Of they're the, not. Well, well no, I mean, and that's Amazon's ahead, not directly charging for it. Apple barely is at this point. They just keep extending free trials. But yeah, I mean, it's no. part of Apple services. And that's a huge part of their, I mean, they're trying to get you into the full bundle. I've been using Apple Fitness Truth. Plus, which is I think better than people expect. So I don't think it's just a free giveaway, right? It's, it's you know, it's something they're hoping to generate revenue from. Right. But I, but I think the point of what you're talking about, Walt, is a great one, is that it does show you that this business can work, can scale, and can actually be immensely profitable. But when that and happens, I think that's, sometimes people shut it off and other times people are like, that's great, then let's go after it, right? So we'll see. Well, I, I, I think what we're seeing, I mean, we have up on the slide here. So this is Paramount Plus, which is the new rebrand of CBS All Access. They're holding an investor event on February 24th, and it's launching in early March. But what is interesting in this, um, and this was first pointed out by Matt Ball, who tweeted out and tagged me in his tweet, if you look at this picture, um, it looks like, uh, you know, the, the picture that's up on the screen with the launch invitation to the investor day, it looks like an airplane hangar. And you would go, why in the world would the invite have an airplane hangar? Yes, it's a new service, but it looks like something that would tie to Top Gun. And the, the implication, you know, certainly makes sense that Top Gun 2, which is one of the higher profile Paramount movies for 2021, is it going direct to Paramount Plus? That would obviously be a very big deal. Uh, we've talked about what Warner Brothers is doing and what you know, kind of AT&T has enabled Warner Brothers to change the model going day and date for films. We've talked on the podcast about how Disney, we think as part of our top 21, will make the pivot shortly. And here you have Paramount also looking like they're probably going to start following suit and realizing that putting first-run movies directly onto streaming is very powerful. And I think if you look, Netflix, I think, is doing 70 movies this year direct to streaming. You know, you kind of just have this sort of thing that like, hey, if you really get aggressive to Walt's point and spend lots of money, this business model can really work. There is tremendous global demand for it. Hopefully, this is a signal that Viacom gets it and is not just leaning in with Nickelodeon and Yellowstone spinoffs, but like really understands how big and bold they have to go. So we'll you say should, you should have superimposed Chris Nolan's face in the zero oh, of that two God, of that slide. By the it, way, it I, kills oh, me. Aren't studio lots also? Um, don't they have doors like that as well? So is it possible that's just a studio lot door? I've been to the Paramount lot. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Um, it does. I, it, that does not look like a studio door. Okay. I mean, that definitely. I mean, look, it's possible, but it definitely looks like. And I went back to actually. I rewatched the trailer for for um, Top, Top Gun Two. Yep. And it sort of feels like it would fit within a couple of the scenes. So it Sweet. wouldn't shock me. Nice. So I think it's a good pickup by Matt Ball, to be honest. Um, okay, next slide. Uh, Walt is uh, yours. It is mine? No, this is... Well, you, this you is, found it. You know what? You this, is, this isn't like everybody's slide. parlor rich at all in any way. This is for our <laughs> podcast listeners. Um, well, this is you have been such a big fan of Maria Bartiromo and her parlor. I'm just usages. pointing out the fact that she's still on Twitter. In fact, her tweets no longer have her on parlor uh, identification. So I'm not sure what happened there. Um, Maybe it's just hard to find her on parlor. <laughs> well, she she did recently allege that um, it was Democrats that infiltrated the the rioters on the Capitol, but that's a different topic. So in this in this tweet, it says Josh Gerstein said. Federal judge in Seattle denies all social media site Parler's request for order forcing Amazon to keep posting its service. And look, this is just a follow on from what we were talking about last week. 
which is like, how do you stop big tech from having an impact? So in this case, Parler was trying to stop um, big tech from what they would consider censoring them by suing them. And that didn't work. The court said, no, you can't, they're not going to stay. I mean, there, there's, I assume a court case that's going to be ongoing and Amazon may have some type of liability, but in this, in this portion of the stack, meaning that you've got Twitter up here at the application level, and then you've got the ISPs at the bottom, meaning like would Verizon like shut off any type of parlor traffic. There's actually other companies in the middle, in this case, Amazon, which serves as, as the cloud provider or did at least um, to parlor. Um, so at least one court has said, that's something that they can do. We'll see if there's any regulation that could stop that. I, I would think that that would be hard to do. I think this is probably becomes if the courts are not going to intervene, which I would well, be surprised if they is, did, it becomes a congressional issue, a policy. It's a, it's a, this is a federal government policy. Issue. You don't think this is going to the Supreme Court? I, I don't think the courts are going to. It gonna, doesn't matter, I, though. I think you're I, right. I find it very hard to believe the courts are going to tell. This will have to be legislated on or be a DOJ issue or something. To, to, and, for a court to say that a company has to host somebody else's traffic would surprise me. A private company has to host somebody's traffic. Well, the the other interesting aspect of this is like, look, there is there are issues here technologically. I think Brandon's done some um, research on it in the past week. It's hard to get around um, dealing with these large tech companies if you want to have a broadly used service. I mean, in this case, you could argue like if Parler was a better run company, they would have had an alternative to Amazon lined up. So, you know, you can't fully blame Amazon in this situation. It's just a cloud service. There's other alternatives that are in the market. Yeah, the com- now Go ahead, Brandon. No, I was just going to say the companies that I, I spoke to about it said, yes, we can sort of take everything off of Amazon and stop using all the cloud services, but our service is going to be a lot shittier and it's going to take a long time um, yep. to, to build back up. They're all hooked on the drug. And, <laughs> and there's no easy way off of it. There just isn't. Okay, let's uh, move on. We've got uh, Reuters. This is um, Vincent Lee tweeting. So this came across Reuters uh, yesterday evening. Japanese government or Japan's government has privately concluded Tokyo Olympics will have to be canceled because of coronavirus, the Times citing senior ruling coalition member. Now, this has been denied by several people that this is official yet, but then there's been plenty of other stories that um, public opinion is not in favor of holding the Olympics and that there is increasing doubt about whether it actually happens. Uh, we don't have anything new to share on what actually ultimately happens, but I do think it's important to think about what are the implications and what are the companies sort of most exposed. Uh, you know, it's obvious in terms of U.S. media companies, it would be Comcast, NBC. Yeah. This is a huge event for them. They were going to have, and on their last conference call, they were even talking about having two Olympics within 12 months was going to be a very nice catalyst for NBC Universal, especially kind of as the kind of post-COVID coming out. Uh, and driving ad dollars and ad spend. So that would obviously be disappointing to NBC. But the the other stock that I think is worth mentioning is also Twitter, because Japan is Twitter's second largest market in terms of revenue. Uh, And this was going to be a major event um, for Jap, you know, Twitter Japan, and so you know, not just mentioning Twitter more broadly, yeah, but Twitter thrives. Twitter thrives on events in general on a global basis. So they were going to get hurt by that, but also J- Japan, um, given their dominance there. But what about Discovery, Rich? 
You know, the funny thing is, is, you know, I think when Discovery didn't have the Olympics this year, I think profitability actually benefited. So I'm not sure, you know, given what Discovery so this paid is, for this, it. So this is a tailwind for Discovery. I certainly don't think it's a negative. I mean, I'm sure they'd be disappointed. I'm sure it, you know, hurts ratings on channels and stuff like that. Um, and look, they just launched Discovery Plus. There was clearly going to be tie-ins for Discovery Plus overseas that I'm sure are tied to the Olympics. So it might mute the it might mute the growth of Discovery Plus in Europe if they don't have you know, the Olympics and, and use that as sort of just like Peacock. Remember, Peacock has been clearly hurt by not having the Olympics. This would be yet another blow to Peacock. But it, I, to your point, Discovery Plus probably does get hurt at the margin, even if profitability overall benefits. Right. Uh, let's move on to Fortnite. On to Brandon. the next. Okay. This is a tweet from The Verge. No brand is safe from Fortnite, even the Terminator. And what what they're talking about is kind of that recent flood of collaborations um, that we've seen on Fortnite. And look, we we released our top 21 for 21 last week. We talked about marketers and media rights holders really embracing interactive media platforms like Fortnite and and like Roblox. And you're seeing it already. Um, I, I think the one that Walt would really love uh, from this week is that they introduced a whole bunch of soccer skins um, and a soccer uh, game in create mode. But unfortunately, Walter, Liverpool was not included. So okay, it's been a bad one. I know you're sorry. A couple of weeks. Um, That's brutal. But it shows you how all forms of media are entering the gaming space. Like they're all realizing how important being visible in gaming is like they can't avoid being in the video gaming space where a lot of and, brands and, and have not these, figured out how to be there historically these virtual spaces are going to continue to be built out um like roblox and fortnite seem committed to creating a quote metaverse um or at least building towards the the traditional um definition of of a metaverse over time and you know, both their visions have real life brands and all types of third party content being resident on, on their platforms. Yeah. And, and I know we've seen more of this. Well, but but I also want to say, like, I think we've seen a lot of content brands. Yeah, we've seen McDonald's do certain things, but we like haven't the, really seen. Yeah, but we haven't really seen true marketing like, you know, it's early days. I think we're seeing the content companies embrace it first. And my guess is. The big, I, th you know, I think advertising also, brands. Yeah, Fortnite also really wanted to start with those content companies sure. because by bringing that content onto their platform, it also strengthens engagement on their platform, and that's a good way to sort of, you know, to to, to build out um, that little flywheel. Sure, but if I'm PNG, I'm brands, trying to figure out yes. how do I brands, how do I play in this world. Brands now. are going to need to figure it out, though. And I don't know what the right answer is exactly what it looks like and how it plays, but like it is just hard to imagine if all of the content companies are there and all of the young consumers, actually all ages, but especially the young and kind of young adults into youths are there. How can brands not want to market their products there? Like it just seems obvious that it's going to happen exactly what form. I'm not sure I know, but it has to happen for the future of advertising. Well, there's going to be tons and tons of experiences on these platforms. Brands are going to be able to build their their own experiences where 
players, I put that in quotes, can really engage with the brands as opposed to kind of just flying by and seeing an ad. So there, there should be really good opportunities here. Um, it'll take time, but I think 21 is going to be kind of uh, the year you really, really see brands start to experiment. Walt, you want to walk us through Verizon? Yeah, look, heading into Verizon's report on Tuesday, we had some some more press. So I guess Bernstein had put out some, some new research calling this um, Verizon's millimeter wave-based 5G home business a um, strong niche business because they can pass homes past 2 million households, which kind of, it's funny, Chet um, from Starry liked my tweet because I was <laughs> kind of trolled this a little bit. Can you imagine Chet trying to raise money from his investors based on the homes past as opposed to what the penetration was of 5G? And penetration, I'm thinking market penetration, is a nice pun here because it, it uh, talks about can the signal penetrate into those homes that it's passing? And if, if you bring up that next slide, Rich, well, but, got, you know, okay, God, you can go there next. Well, it's from Dave Temkin um, it's, it's talking about stepping outside my front door. I get 1.6 gig uh, per second on Verizon um, 5G. Walk inside, goes away. MM wave is not the future. And this is the issue. Like, you know, if you're passing the homes, how many are you getting? And they launched this thing two years ago. And we with a lot of fanfare, right? I mean, that was like they were talking about it with like YouTube TV and they made a whole big deal of that launch and the excitement around it. And what's happened since? Well, we haven't seen sub numbers. So I, I'm not holding my breath to expect to see sub numbers um, on Tuesday when they report. But again, it's it's been over two years. Um, so now what's happening? Now you've got a C-band spectrum auction um, which is record numbers. We'll, we'll probably know the winners within a couple of weeks. And if Verizon's probably going to come out as the big winner, and which will be a pivot away from this stuff that um, I guess at least some analysts still think can be a niche business. And I think if you go to but, the next slide. Well, yeah, I, but hold on. I just want to, I just want to comment because I think what's funny is like you talk about these, you know, passings and we sort of make fun of NBC in the same way. Like they talk about Peacock has registrations, like people that have gone to the, NB, the Peacock website and entered their email address and the press often, and we see the press continually conflate Netflix subscribers or HBO Max subscribers, like paying subs with people who have entered their email address on a Peacock website. And they're looked at as the same thing when they're obviously there's nothing like they're not even close to being related. It's absurd. The same thing, like you mentioned, like you can't raise capital on registrations or, you know, or passing. A Peacock is a perfect, it's a, definitely a perfect example. Um, you want to talk about this and Legato? Well, just the just the pivot here. I think that's coming for Verizon is the move back to mid band because they're trying to. They're probably going to buy a ton of this um, C band spectrum. The reality is, Rich, that the, the C band spectrum also just doesn't perform as well as the existing spectrum that these operators have in the market. And we've talked before about what Legato can do to help that. Verizon has kind of poo pooed this, um, saying like, "No, like you know, they're not going to get through the FCC. This is not necessarily helpful." Well. On the eve of uh, Ajit Pai's um, last night of being FCC chairman, he denied a stay that the um, the NTIA and others were trying to stop Legato from moving forward on this spectrum being usable. So L-Ban can help Verizon or whoever else ends up buying a C-Band spectrum, both in terms of 
increasing the, the coverage and penetration, but also just lowering the overall uh, build-out costs. And is there anything the new FCC, I mean, I know um, we were very happy as a team that Jessica Rosenwasser was appointed, at least acting chair for now, hopefully soon to be permanent chair, but is there anything the new FCC could do that would change this or any reason the new FCC would change this? Well, in reality, uh, Rosenworcel, um did in, in part dissent from what this ruling was that that Pi had, but I don't. It, it's only on the kind of the formalities of it. I don't really think that um, they're going to reconsider the ruling that existed at the FCC. We'll have to see that um, how that yeah. progresses over time. But um, it's usable spectrum. There's spectrum that they could theoretically forfeit, but you know these are battles that go on in between agencies. I guess the hope would be that under a new administration, there's probably better coordination across the agencies as opposed to fiefdoms fighting for whatever they're doing. So, you know, we'll see how that progresses. Uh, Brandon, why don't you walk us through Spotify next? Sure. Oh, it's the verge again. (laughs) I get to read all the verges tweets. Um, Spotify is paying podcasters tens of thousands of dollars to buoy its own sponsorship tool. Um, So it was an article actually about Anchor. And if we take a step back on Spotify, um, they've worked to build or acquire kind of the whole um, podcasting stack from creation to distribution to monetization. Anchor was kind of the first acquisition they they made, which was really for creation and uploading podcasts, but they also had promised monetization in the way of sponsorships with it. Right. That they would basically and, help you. Like you, you exactly. upload through us. Right. You so random podcaster. Exactly. Up, upload, upload with us. We'll match you with sponsors and you're going to make money right away. What wound up happening though is or from from this article and and what we heard this week is that they weren't really no none of the podcasters were really being matched with sponsors and the only sponsorships on there were anchor kind of sponsoring themselves and and paying for it and so there's been a lot of complaints but honestly i from think from podcasters I specifically think, yes i think when when they really kind of kicked off that anchor sponsorship program they were early in monetization they've since bought megaphone um, which is which gives podcasters a way to um, <clears throat> to monetize through advertising, and they're probably just not focused um, on that aspect of anchor anymore. Well, I also think I, that I don't they're think increasingly like that focused on high profile. I mean, I think you know, you see yes, Ava that's DeVerney. the other thing. Those Ava who are DeVerney uploading exactly through anchor are very small, and yeah, megaphone is for podcasters with larger audiences. My guess is that so I understand the complaints there. They're moving up and they're realizing how much power the long there tail is. doesn't matter. Well, th- th- no, it's helpful to, to incentivize it, but monetizing the long tail is much less important than how big the high visibility of the top content is in terms of solidifying spot Spotify subscriptions, moving people from Apple podcast over to Spotify for listening and just how that flywheel kicks in is not being driven by the long tail is my yeah. guess. So they kind of have abandoned that. No, they, it's still a useful tool, but I don't think it's probably as important as it used to be. And we'll see, maybe that'll change over time as they grow the advertising business overall. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Barstool uh, launched in Michigan today, I think at noon Eastern today, maybe noon uh, Central, I don't know. But at noon today, Barstool went live with its sports book in Michigan. So this is the second state 
first was obviously Pennsylvania. Uh, I think people have been a little bit concerned of like, why was it taking so long to kind of expand from states? The reason I put this slide up is, you know, whether they launch today or whatever day doesn't really matter. What was interesting about the launch, though, is how every single Barstool asset was focused on the launch in Michigan today. I mean, you if you care about Barstool, you knew from every angle. I mean, it was every podcast, every show. I mean, I saw it on Casey Smith's podcast, like everywhere you looked. There was Barstool. They were wearing pens. That, you know, they had the pen ticker on their T-shirts. I mean, like they were fully engaged in launching this. That's the advantage that Penn has over all of the other sort of uh, mobile sports books. It, like they've really they, ha they have the content media business and and kind of that real top of funnel. Right. And it's not affecting the other guys yet. You know, FanDuel and DraftKings. Oh, they're only they're, in, they're, they're only in two states. Right. But right? It, it did. It did make me laugh, Brandon. I, when I saw the, the Twitter or sorry, when I saw the Instagram posts and all of the stuff that I was seeing this morning heading into the launch, all I could do was smile and think about the fact that, you know, here we have. I mean, as I look at my screen right now, I've got Fubo up three percent. I think it was up 10 percent yesterday. Always comes Every, back to Fubo. Everyone excited about sports betting. And I'm just going, you know, we're worried about how a content company being fused to Penn Gaming can make a dent into FanDuel and DraftKings. And we've got a 455,000 subscriber startup that loses money on a gross margin level. And they're going to somehow break into the space with no unique content and you, no unique sports book scale. It's just comical. It's well, literally comical. Question for you, Rich. Do you think that DraftKings, FanDuel are going to need to add content to their offerings? Well, we've seen FanDuel start to add um, name brands in the sports media industry. So I think FanDuel certainly gets it. Uh, you know, DraftKings. Oh, Draft, DraftKings has also. So I, I think you're going to see both companies. real. I think both companies have to realize how. I don't want to say race to a bottom on, you know, bigger offers and all the things that are going on in the space. I think they're going to realize that in order to really make the consumer, a, you know, to be a brand, like to really be a brand, like that you want to wear a T-shirt and like you want to be a fan of that brand. I think they're going to have to become content companies over time. I just and probably over the next couple of years, they're going to have to figure their way into content. In a so much content way. will be the point, uh, the ultimate point of differentiation between these brands. And Correct. and those besides the overall mobile user experience, the content will separate the winners from the losers um, as we move towards an eventual oligopoly in the space. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, I keep thinking to myself, like, I still can't figure out like I think about, you know, Disney and I go, why do they own ESPN? Like it is such a troubled business. It's only going to get worse. Disney, the brand can't do sports betting. But imagine if ESPN was spun off. And like you could merge like an ESPN with a DraftKings or an ESPN with a FanDuel, like that would change everything. Or an Bet Bet MGM merges. You know, Ryan Sarver. You know, I'm sorry, Ryan Spoon went over to um, to run Bet MGM. Like, imagine if the content resources and scale of an ESPN brand could be fused. Like that would be really powerful. But I, I think you're going to have to see some form of M and A uh, and investment likely to drive this. Uh, Walt, we think we've got um, coming up next. We've got, I'm going to say it wrong, Rakuten? Rakuten. Rakuten. Sorry, Rakuten. I've been practicing and I still did it wrong. Rakuten. Rakuten. So in this, 
I'll, I'll make this quick. This is just, there's been like a hit job on Rakuten this week because of <laughs> what's going on in the wireless business, which is whatever. It is what it is in terms of what's going on in Japan. Um, but I think there's there's parallels getting tied to DISH in the US. And basically people are saying, well, if Rakuten is struggling in some way, this just must mean that open architecture doesn't somehow work, even though you have West Coast companies like Facebook, Amazon, and others fully behind it. You've got global companies like Vodafone. You've got, you've got investments in India, um, but because Rakuten is having some issues, you have one or two, one or two analysts somehow calling for the demise of Dish as a result. So I just want to make sure that we talk about this at, at, our, at the current podcast. The demise of Dish. The demise. <laughs> Uh, more or less. Yeah. I right. mean, and I guess the point is that, you know, like part of this is Charlie's fault because he kind of referenced them early in terms of one of the one of the first companies to use an open RAN architecture. But uh, Rakuten has tried to sell their own infrastructure platform. Dish is not using that. They, they may use one of the vendors that Rakuten actually bought. Um, but Dish has their own very able people that are benefiting from a very basic concept, which is, again, open radio and also open on the network side of things that's going to create flexibility. Again, they're trying to create the network um, that the tech companies want to have. And, um, you know, we'll see how Rakuten's, excuse me, (laughs) network uh, performs. Oh, I'm glad it's not just me. That was great. Rakuten. I used to say Rakuten and Rakuten, you know, it is Rakuten. So... Yeah. So I. So again. So I think it was this. This is just us highlighting once again. Look. First of all, we question this concept of, of Rakuten just giving up. It, they caused the other Japanese telecom operators to cut prices in the market. Let's let's compare that to Sprint. When Sprint was offering a free year of service, no one responded right. to that offering. And um, yeah. So we'll see. Let's just move on because I just it's it was just worth mentioning, and we will come back to this many many times in twenty one in terms of the power of open RAN. Well, and, and as we actually start to I assume start to see Dish execute. Sure, that that will be. I mean, it's also you're, that's exactly actually you're right. I mean, that, that like that's setting it up we're as a catalyst. It. It, we're going to see it. If you have the stock getting pressure, the doubters basically saying it's not going to work. So then what are you going to say when they launch a market? Because the reality was prior to, to Rakuten's launch, people had said this was never going to happen. And they, in fact, did launch it. And it's like Starlink. You had the Starlink haters saying like, oh, they're never going to be able to launch the satellites. Well, guess what? They're in the air. Oh, they're never going to work. Well, guess what? They're actually delivering high quality services to Indian reservations right now. I mean, you have people tweeting about it. So um, haters going to hate. We will come back. So Vizio, we've got a tweet here from Vizio. You're home for round-the-clock access to games and shows covering every element of collegiate, professional, and international sports. The NFL channel, the Pac-12 network, BN Sports, CBS Sports app are now streaming on SmartCast. And the reason I put this up there is that, you know, we, we, we have this um, thesis around kind of the war for the living room and that while everyone's sort of focused on the war between Disney Plus and Netflix. And, you know, we were talking with, you know, Walton, the group was just talking before about like, does this incentivize more people to get involved? And we think it does, but it's it's not because they're all going to kill each other. It's that they're all sort of eating into linear TV. But the real war that isn't being talked enough about is who's going to control the TVOS. And we think that that is a huge battleground for 2021. 
And, you know, obviously we've seen what Roku and that stock is, uh, where is it right now? Roku is what, $421 at $55 billion market cap. (laughs) So there is a lot of value being ascribed to the TVOS winners. We've seen sort of Samsung be asleep at the wheel. They're certainly getting more aggressive buying a DSP, like growing that business. Vizio um, clearly getting more aggressive as that tweet just shows like they're trying to build up their own native TV OS that, you know, consumers use. So you don't need to connect a Chromecast. You don't need to connect a Roku or a Fire. You're just using the Vizio platform. And, you know, Vizio is obviously one of the yeah, biggest U.S. The, those, manufacturers. Those OEMs Vizio. own that real estate. So in, instead of letting somebody else profit off of it and have the power, they're going to take a crack at doing it on their own. And look, we used Which to make makes one of these sense companies. because now they think now everyone has seen Roku's stock explode and that's it. But the funny thing is, Brandon, you and I would walk the floor. We would walk the floor of CES and we would look at all of these other TV manufacturers and their TV OSs and we would laugh. I mean, this is like five or six years ago. We would laugh at how bad they were. Now they're actually pretty good. And like it's actually increasingly difficult to distinguish, you know, a Fire TV from a Samsung, you know, their TV plus like they're, they're all looking more and more similar. And people are getting more comfortable with using apps on these platforms, obviously, because of what's happened with Roku and Apple TV. And I think this is going to be I'd, I'd be shocked if we didn't see a public Vizio over the next you know 12 months. I'd be shocked if Samsung didn't get even further emboldened to blow out and kind of expand their software that they've built for Samsung TVs. You might see that on other TV platforms. Like, yeah. I just think we're well, going to see a lot Sony, more about Sony's this battle. Pretty deeply embedded with Google, though. Right. TCL Google's Pro, rolling Pro, out their Google OEM here and. Google abroad. So there's kind of a bifurcation, but the larger, the really large TV manufacturers, um, Samsung Vizio seem to want to capture that part of the value chain. Let's just back up and 10,000 feet on this. I've been a direct TV customer for 20 years. So while there's all this evolution going on with the TV operating systems and Roku and Apple TV, I'm still using this because I want to watch Eagles on Sunday Ticket. Um, hopefully, yeah. they they move that off. And especially after AT and T bought Directv, the development of that has been horrible. <laughs> that the functionality on my Directv boxes, okay, they have these little, you know, kind of hub and spokes, but like it just hasn't it hasn't changed at all. Like they're like you could at least say Comcast with X one, they've been migrating the product up yeah. in the case of direct TV. They yeah. haven't done shit with it. That's I'm really, really attractive you, Walt. parts of the virtual MVPDs. So that's my point, right? which is the 10, that's why Walt I'm years. hoping, you're, you're I'm hoping for the you difference between direct TV operating systems, but it's really, you know, where's most content being viewed still it's through these, you know, existing boxes. Antiquated set-top boxes. Right. And so I'm hoping for the Pisic household, for you specifically, Walt, I'm hoping that we're right in our prediction that YouTube TV takes Sunday ticket um, or that Amazon takes Sunday ticket because I do think that your experience, you know, imagine being able to say, Alexa, you know, you know, change to this game or imagine saying Google, you know, okay, Google do this. Like, I just think that the, the experience you get is going to be so far well, beyond. Well, we know direct TV is not going to have it anyway. Correct. <laughs> but yeah. So the issue, Rich, so, let's so we're in better shape, no matter what, let's be clear about the issue. The, I, I actually watch Sunday ticket via the app. The app is fine. If the, it's the having to have direct TV as my, uh, sub, my pay TV subscription, my MVPD right. that, 
that is the pain in the ass because that's where I, once I don't have to bundle those two together, I can go to YouTube TV, I can go to Charlie's thing, yep. I can go to whatever um, and not have to deal with that interface. I mean, my thing's down right now. Like there's some other like product that's broken and I can't get anything through my direct TV. Again, it's amazing. Brandon? We continue on. This one's from Austin Carp, And every week we kind of do, I feel like, sports ratings in update. And um, Austin gave us the divisional round viewership, um, which was down 7% um, year over year, which is pretty similar to what we saw in the regular season. So that sort of wild card weekend where the year over years were down pretty fantastically didn't continue on into week two that's or the second week of the playoffs that's pretty much all there is on this slide but you know what we just um just because it's it's relevant uh, that i think you'll find interesting um i just saw come across that nbc Sportsnet is shutting down later this year and all content is actually migrating to usa networks so just sort of interesting. Very how, interesting. Just very interesting how, you know, like, we, I mean, we have the next slide, which we'll go to. Which what do you is, mean by that? You're talking about NBCSN or something? Yeah, NBCSN. NBS, it says NBCSN, Joe Flint, breaking news, NBCSN shutting down later this year. Hold on. So, so I guess hockey will be on USA. Yeah, so how does, so it's already a pain in the ass With in terms WWE. of finding my EPL games between the NBCSN and then like you have to flip to the, and it doesn't even, they don't even overlap the coverage. So if they switch one game from NBCSN to Peacock, you would think that they would overlap it. So I could just go into my Peacock. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, I don't know. There's no more NBCSN. So where's it going to go? Do I have to go to, what is this? It's going to be on USA Network. Come on, Comcast. Honestly, (laughs) just put it on USA basically had nothing besides WWE. And WWE uh, ratings are down, so I think uh, Brandon, everybody, everybody wants to jam it all together. Here. Hold on, Walt. Everybody wants to live in both worlds. They want to have their cake and eat it too. They could put it all on Peacock, but they want you to still subscribe to the bundle. They want you to subscribe to Peacock. They want the best of both worlds. They I will want- not watch one piece of USA content. I don't care how you fucking drag me to that. No, app. they just want you to. They just want you subscribing to a cable package. So they they want a double dip. Can I get that if I get YouTube TV? Does it give me access you, to USA? Uh, yes, it does. Okay, well then fine. I'll, I'll just do it that way when I switch off a of DirecTV. But you're, you're still creating a pain in the ass for me as a customer. A suboptimal least, viewer experience is what you're basically getting. You're being an annoyance. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are that, you that's why I That's why I called an audible and brought this in because I thought it was definitely an irritation. So Brandon, sports teams valuations starting sure. to shrink? Nah, barely. Um, so Sportico put out their sports team valuations. Everyone knows in terms of sports team valuations, it's Forbes. I have no idea why Forbes is the arbiter on it, um, but they have. But it has been for always. Year. And I think the discussion on team sales generally kind of starts with that that Forbes number. But Sportico has been putting out uh, team valuations for the last couple of years. This year, I think overall for NBA teams, they were down something like 2%, which is the first time for either Forbes or Sportico, I can remember team valuations coming down. Obviously, COVID had something to do with that. Um, and the Knicks uh, were 
the most valuable team at $5.42 billion. Truthfully, if you look at their methodology, it was really more like four and a half. For some reason, they're attributing Dolan shares in MSGN and MSG um, Entertainment to the next valuation. I have no idea why. Um, and vis-a-vis the Knicks, there's already been inbound offers for that team over $5 billion. So the quality of the team impact the value, Brandon? Like if they actually fielded a good team this decade, would it It actually, actually, actually it does because I think most of these valuations, wait, you think, why wouldn't there be a good Look, look, it's a supply and demand issue, but if the Knicks got really good, I, I am sure that at least the Forbes valuation would go up. Number one, because I think they start their valuations with revenue. And if you start making the playoffs, um, your revenues go up pretty tremendously, plus other things like merch and so on and so forth. Plus, you're probably going to see multiple expansion. I think number two on that list was the Golden State Warriors. And you you um, if you look back at the history of that team valuation, it's grown significantly since since they got better it was one of the lower ones in the league and now it's like in this valuation if you strip out the dolan shares the most the most um but could it be that if golden state got shitty that you know obviously they were shitty i think last year but like that it would drop or um you know, that that obviously the Knicks are more stable because they have a horrible well, team and they're still have a high well, valuation. It's, it's, it's New York, right? Exactly. Yeah, I don't so know if that's going to mean what it used to mean. <laughs> we'll, we'll a lot of money on the West. There's a lot of money in Golden State land, but I don't know if any of those Fairweather friends, Fairweather fans that like them now are still going to be showing up at their games and supporting that team if they're, they have a stretch like the Knicks have had. We'll say. A lot of billionaires, though. If I can't remember the last right, but I'm saying, like, are the billionaires like it's fun if you're a billionaire going to a Knicks game, but you know, no, I mean, to the, if the team ever, you know, came for sale. Oh, gotcha. I yeah. think it would be a desirable franchise because of some sure. of the people in its fan base, just sure. like you have with with New York and the Knicks. Yeah. But again, so, it's I it's all irrelevant some, until these gold, teams come. I just wonder if some of those Golden State fans are all of a sudden going to become uh, Knicks and Lakers fans or whoever happens to be good at some point. So we're pretty obsessed with the creator economy. Alex Heath from The Information has a story uh, from earlier in the week that says Patreon is eyeing a public is is eyeing going public later this year. Scoop um, from two of his colleagues. Um, recently surpassed 100 million in an- annualized revenue too. Comes as Cameo and OnlyFans also looking to raise more money. And you know we've talked extensively about you know we had Cameo on Lightshed Live a few weeks ago. We are I'm fascinated by OnlyFans, especially as it moves from not safe for work content to all forms of of <laughs> I content. See I mean, there. Uh, look, we're just we're seeing more and more content creators looking to this you know the the direct c- subscription model. And whether it's, you know, podcasters, you know, lots of podcasters use Patreon to run their businesses. Uh, obviously, you've got uh, musicians starting and some sports athletes starting to embrace OnlyFans. Uh, you know, Cameo has become very normalized. I mean, the amount of talent that's on Cameo today versus two years ago is shocking in terms of the kind of freshness and quality of the people that are willing to do these uh, to do this. And I, I think it just sort of shows you how just like we've seen sort of the bundle breakdown and you're seeing, you know, new companies go direct to consumer with aggregate, 
lots of content. We're seeing more and more. I mean, whether it's on Substack, I mean, Brandon, you've been listening to creators like Sriram, you know, go directly to consumers. Sriram's Shri, a creator now. He is. I mean, he's look, he's got a following. And we're all, we're all creators. Yes. Sriram. Rich, how, how hard is it? He's done a great job on Clubhouse, though. That audience kind of builds every yeah. every day how hard is, it, how hard is it for a content platform to add the ability to pay money i mean i've seen stuff on youtube where people can send dollars like if twitter which obviously can, has a lot of engagement decided to allow people to put video and has a button there where you can send people money so like what is the sustainability of something like patreon if if um you know if other larger platforms basically build in the same functionality are more people going to go there less how's that work I think the issue is in most cases, most of the things we're talking about are relatively minor, right? Like for, for YouTube, yeah. Can you tip on, you know, YouTube, sure, on some of the live stuff and has Instagram created tipping? They can. But the, 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 the monetization methods are fairly limited. Um, you know, the, the ease of use and the ability to kind of have more of a direct relationship. Like it's not just about the billing. Like it's not just to be able to tip. You know, with things like Patreon or, you know, look it's, at OnlyFans, it's, it's not it's, it's to interact with the it's also and to interact with the person like it's it creates a direct link between you and the your fan. And I think that's the part of it where you can whether it's not just incremental content, it's selling merch like all of those. It's it's goes beyond just simply sending the person two bucks. If it was just two bucks to a person or ten bucks to a person or a hundred bucks. I don't think they would be needed, but to create more of like what we're thinking in terms of a fan club, you know, think back to like, you know, uh, a musician fan club, like that's what they're trying to basically create digitally where it's a much more comprehensive relationship. And I think in the scheme of like these companies, that's just not where their focus is at. And they're certainly not doing it, something that works universally across all the platforms. This sort of allows you to have, you know, a, a, direct commerce and a direct relationship with people that spans everyone, whether it's TikTok or whether it's Facebook or, you know, pick your platform. So I think that's the reason for it and why you're going to see more and more infrastructure that gets created around the creator economy, such as, you know, what we're talking about with Patreon. Well said. Um, we have a musical exit today. Oh, Walt. We do. Should we hit it? Well, it's not really a surprise because we talked about yeah. it in the podcast, but <laughs> but we actually made it happen. Like your, we made like it happen. The, is, is the is the extended drama just because you have to? You're queuing it up right now. You need to. <laughs> I am. I time. am. I needed a little bit of time. I needed to. You know, I needed to share well, the audio. On my screen, it does say Richard Greenfield is sharing computer sound. So let's hear it, Rich. Let's hear it, Rich. Louder. everybody a little Our rebecca black to end the week enjoy your friday later everyone fun 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 fun, fun. <laughs>